Thank you, sir. Good morning, church. I'm glad to be with you guys today. Uh, my voice is a little shaky today, so we'll see how this goes. But I'll tell you, I always tell myself I'm not going to sing on days like this. Um, and then I can't help it because after a weekend like we just had, um, we just had our campus refocus retreat where we got to have all of our college ministry people together in one place and talk about um, what God hopes for this semester, what God's excited about this semester, um, which is the same thing that he's excited about every semester. You know, I, there was a cartoon, I don't know, probably none of you guys know this except if you're really old, but um, there's a cartoon when I was a child called Pinky and the Brain. And, uh, and they would say, Pinky would always ask the brain, like, what are we going to do? It was two mice that were like evil, like scientists or whatever. And he's like, what are we going to do today? And he always say the same thing we do every day, Pinky, try to take over the world. And I think about that, like with, when you go to God in prayer, you're like, what are we going to do today? He's like, same thing we do every day, son. We're going to try to win as many people for God as possible. Like that's always what he wants. He always wants to draw a whole bunch of hearts to him. And so this semester is like every semester in that he's got all these plans and all these things he's putting together. Um, but instead of them being evil plans, he's got exciting plans for, for the people around us. Uh, we are praying that, that God would do something bigger than you expected today. That, that whatever your expectations were, whatever your hopes were when you came in here, that God's got immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine in store for you, and that this would be a launching pad for that. Um, you know, we, you've got notes in your bulletin to follow along, but, but what our catchphrase, kind of what we say about our church is, you know, this is where the problems of this world connect with the power of God and the promises of God. And, and so we're going through a new series this week, um, starting it out, it's called Restored, and, it's, and the, the title is Getting Back to Who You Were Meant to Be. And the idea is that when God, you know, God always wanted what was best for us. Like, that was always His intention. When He made a place for us, He made a place that was perfect. And Adam and Eve got put into a garden where, where they could walk with God every day, an intimate relationship where they, everything was at their hand. Everything they needed was right there. And, and yet, like Adam and Eve, we do what they do, which is we tend to self-sabotage and we tend to take good things and, and hurt that relationship and make choices that aren't the best. And what God wants more than anything else and what he's been working at ever since the fall of Adam and Eve is to restore us, to bring us back to what we were meant to be, to be intimate with God, to be whole and have what we need, to have peace instead of anxiety, um, to have confidence instead of fear, to, to have influence and power instead of timidity and, and, and uncertainty. And there's so many things that he wants for us. And the church was meant to be this place where you can come in and get connected with the power of God and the promises of God so that you could be restored in that way. Um, in our campus ministry, we say, you know, it only takes a spark. Our campus ministry is Ignite Campus Ministry. And, and the idea is that Man, it, when you get to step into someone's life, you don't have to have all the answers, which is really good because you won't have all the answers, right? Um, but we know who God is and we know what answers he's provided for us. And even if all you have is a little bit of a spark, right? It doesn't take a blazing inferno to light a fire for God. It just takes a little spark of sitting next to someone and engaging with them and, and telling them something about the promises that God has given you and the way that he's come through on them that, that helps restore that hope in them. Um, there was a cool lesson we had this weekend. Josh and Kelly were teaching, and they, they were talking about hope and how you ignite hope in somebody, how you start hope up in someone who maybe has lost it. And they talked about the Hebrew word for, um, for hope, which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, but, um, but it, it means that one meaning is a cord, like a rope. And then they also use that word for hope in the way that it's connected is like, you know, when God gives you hope, it's like he's connecting where you are 
and he's stretching something out and connect and hooking you up to this hope that he's got for you, these, these plans that he has for you. And it's like a lifeline. You know, like that's what we get to have for people. When we come in and we get to share, you know, God's promises with others and we get to talk about all the amazing promises that God gives us, it's like a lifeline that we're connecting to, to them and, and from where, taking them from where they are to where God's trying to get them. And that's a powerful thing in a world that, that maybe looks a little bleak a lot of times, that maybe there's not a lot of hope being floated around. If you just turn on like the news or like anything else, there's not a ton of messages of hope, right? It's not a lot of messages saying, hey, hang in there, we're all good. You know, we're going to get this thing figured out. It's, it's awful. There's, there's one thing after another. The whole world's falling apart. Um, and, and God says, well, you know, I've, I've got an answer for that. But when we're claiming God's promise, and that's what, this is what we're going to talk about this week, when we're claiming God's promise, we also have to embrace God's premise. There are a lot of times where we want the promises of God, but we don't want the truths that tell us how to get there. Like, for example, if, you, you know, if I were to say, all right, everybody needs to be in the van by 2 p.m. and we're all going out to a Thunder game. Like, anybody who wants to go, free tickets, I'm paying for everything, concessions, gas, all of it. You just have to be in the van by 2 p.m. No one would be like, oh, so there's a catch. I got to be in the van, right? Like, I didn't know there was a cost to it. You know, like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that. It's just a the fact is, if you are not in the van, I cannot get you to the game. It's not a catch. It's not, a, it's not fine print. It's just how things have to be. And that's what a premise is. A premise is something where you say, this is true. Like, these two things go together. If this doesn't happen, you don't get this. And so when God says, you know, I, I will bless you and I, I have all these promises for you, but you've got to do these things in order to get them. It's not fine print. He's not trying to trick you. He's just saying... If you treat people terribly, you don't get to have the kinds of relationships I'm telling you you can have, right? If you refuse to open your heart, you will not feel like people love you for who you are, right? If you, if you run away from your support system, you won't feel like you've got this amazing church family around you, right? It's not a catch. It's not something that he's like, ah, I got you, right? Like it's, it's just the nature of it. And sometimes we want all the promises, but we don't want to do the things, um, that, the premise that, that builds it all up and allows it to happen. So in 2 Chronicles 7, 12 through 14, and this really plays on our, our, rebuilding, our, our uh, rebuilding series we did last um, before as well. 2 Chronicles 7, 12 says, um, is God is talking to them and they're about to build this temple. They haven't yet built it. He is, he is talking about building the temple, but already God is foreseeing that there could be some problems. In 2 Chronicles 7, 12, it says, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. If my, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will restore their land. What he's saying before he even builds that temple is that, or helps them build that temple is that I'm already foreseeing a time where I'm going to build this place where we're meant to be together and then you guys are really going to struggle. Like you're going to do some things because this is all of Israel's history is God delivering them into amazing things. And within like 24 hours, they're complaining about it, right? God brings them out of Egypt. He, he parts an ocean, a sea, right? They walk on dry ground with fish on either side of them and walls of water. He swallows up one of the most powerful armies in the world, right? He sends plagues to free them. I mean, he brings the empire of Egypt to its knees and within 24 hours of not seeing Moses, they're like, we need another God. 
I'm pretty sure this isn't working, right? Like instantly they're like, oh no, like all is lost. We need to find something else. And so he's like, I'm going to build this temple, but there might be times when there's some things that I have to do to get you back on track, you know, that I'm going to have to maybe bring some hardship where I'm going to have to bring some things that are difficult, but I don't want to do that, but I'll do it if I have to, to help you learn. And, And what he's saying is if you will do, if you, in those moments when you fail, because you will, if you will call on my name and if you'll humble yourself and if you'll come back home, then I can restore you. And when he says restore, he means bring it back to an, an earlier and better condition. Like to, to take something that was good and now is not as good and we're going to bring it back to better than it ever was. It's going to be sweeter and because we're going to learn from the experience, everything's going to be better than it was before when something's restored. So you've got some blanks in there and normally I fill in the blanks for you. Um, but when it says, I would love to see blank restored, and it's got that three times, I want you guys to consider when we're done with this message, I want you to think about what do you want to see restored? What do you want to see brought back to better than it was before? Maybe it's a, a relationship, like a marriage or a family relationship where it, it was good at one point and now it's been, it's been rough and it's been hard and it's looking like there's not a lot of ways back and we need to figure out how to get back to that place and it's, it's just even hard to see where it is. Maybe it's your influence with others. You know, maybe at one point you were you were able to influence the people around you. You were you know you felt strong, you felt excited, and and you were able to bring people around. And now all of a sudden you you made some mistakes and you made some bad decisions, and and you're feeling like you've lost that. You've lost your testimony. You've lost your ability to to be that light for other people. Maybe it's um, an an old habit that's wrapped you back up that you were free from for a while, right? And we go through these cycles where we. We declare victory over something, and then we go through a hard time, and it's back. We're like, man, like, how did I get back here? How did I thought I, I kicked this? I thought I was done with it, and now I'm back in it, and I'm fighting it again. And we need to get back to that earlier, better condition when times were good. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, he wants to bring us back to the times when we could just walk together and not be ashamed. We could walk together and just be excited about what he's got for us. Um, and, and so I want you guys to think about that as we go through this. You know, what would you love to see restored in your life? What would you love to see restored in your relationships and your relationship with God? And then we're going to spend some time talking about how we get there. So three facts about God's promise to restore us. Three things we need to know about God's promise to restore us and bring us to where we were before, where we were meant to be. And the first thing is that God will use difficult times to draw me back to himself, to draw me back to God. He will use difficult times. Now, this doesn't always mean that he brings the difficult times, but sometimes he does. And he says it in here in in that 2 Chronicles verse. It says, I've heard your prayer. I've chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. But at times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. There are multiple times in the Old Testament where God allows drought and famine that, that bring Israel to its knees. And put them in a desperate situation so that they'll learn because the alternative was to let them keep on going down a road where there would be worse pain at the end of it. And sometimes God does that and sometimes he doesn't have to send anything, right? Sometimes he can just sit back and I'd say most of the time in my life, if God just doesn't do anything, I'll make plenty of mess myself, right? I can create my own consequences really well. And so if God just like steps back, he's like, all right, you do you. Right, which in the world, like that's what we're supposed to tell everyone, right? Like if you if someone says something crazy, you're supposed to say, Hey, you do you, find your truth, right? Which is horrible advice. Right? <laughs> and we know that, but we say it because it's not okay to say the other thing. So when God says you do you, 
he's right and you're going to have a hard time, but he'll let us do it because he's a loving father, right? And I know there are mean parents who will like take away your devices if you're not acting right, right? Or like not let you drive the car. I've even heard of some abusive parents that when they say if you clean your, don't clean your room, you can't go out, will actually not allow you to go out. It's really messed up. It's, it's a terrible thing. We all go through it, right? And when, and when God does this, when God says, right, there's a premise, right? If you don't clean the room, it's just how it is, right? You're not going out with the dirty room. And God will say, man, you've got this temple that I've built in you. And, and for the Israelites, it was a, a physical temple where they could come and they could worship. But in, in our time, God says, your heart is the temple, right? Like you are the temple. We are together are God's temple. And he's like, man, you got to clean your room. Right? He's looking in our temple, he's looking in our, in, our, in our dwelling place that he's made in our hearts, and he's like, man, this is gross. Like, unless you clean this up, I'm not going to be able to go out with you. Right? Like, we're not going to go to main event, we're not going to go out and do, like, there's fun things I have planned for you, there's, there's cool things that I was going to do some father-son stuff with you, right? I was going to bring somebody in into your work that you were going to have this awesome friendship with and, and spark all this stuff in them, but man, I can't do any of that until you clean your room. And if you don't clean your room, then I can't do any of this cool stuff with you. And sometimes the way that he'll wake us up to that is he'll allow hard things to happen. He'll allow difficult times to come on. And we'll have to, you know, it's like when, you, when you're making bad financial decisions and you know, we always know, right? Like, you know, when you're spending too much, you know, when you're making bad choices, you know, when it's in the Amazon cart and you really shouldn't buy it and it just somehow it ends up on your doorstep, right? Like we all know how that works. But, but we don't always do something about it until that first time you can't put gas in your tank. Right? We don't always do something about it until the cell phone gets shut off. We don't always do something about it until the crisis comes and that thing happens and there's no more emergency stash left and you just like have to do without AC for a while. Right? Like those, are, those are the terrible times where we're like, okay, never again. Like now I'm going to take it seriously. And that's not the first time you realize there's a problem. It's just the time you do something about it. And that's, that's how I operate a lot of times. how a lot of us operate all the time. And, and God says, look, I'm, I'm going to allow some hard things sometimes because if I don't do that, something worse is going to come. It is better for me to discipline you and get this right than for you to deal with the, the really horrible consequences of, of being without me forever. In Hebrews 12, 6, and then 11 and 13, it says, The Lord corrects people He loves, and He disciplines those He calls His own. It is never fun to be corrected. In fact, at the time, it's always painful. But if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at peace. Now stand up. Stop your knees from shaking and walk a straight path. Then lame people will be healed instead of getting worse. If God is disciplining you, if God is allowing hard things to happen and, and sending people to help you walk through it, all that means is that he hasn't given up on you. All that means is that he loves you enough to care and pour into you and try to help you through it. The punishment is not designed to cripple you. It's meant to be therapeutic, right? And, and a lot of times, if anyone's ever been through any kind of therapy, like physical therapy, like, those people are awful, right? Like, they're, they're so mean, and they make me do all these things that I don't want to do, and it's really hard, and I keep having to go in. But really, all of it is like, man, in the time, you hate them for making you do it, but at the end, you're like, I don't, I would have never used that arm again, right? Like, I, if it was left to me, it would have just, like, rotted off. I, would, I never would have made it better. But thanks to you, I'm stronger than I ever was. And sometimes, a lot of times, when athletes get injured, and they train really hard on it, they find out, like, it ends up stronger than the other one was, right? Like you have to train so hard to get it right um, that it's better, it's restored, it's better than it was before. C.S. Lewis says, um, God whispers to us in our pleasures, 
speaks to us in our conscience and shouts to us in our pain. Right? Pain is God's megaphone to a, a world that's plugging its ears and trying not to hear the messages he's trying to send. It's what wakes us up. And so we've got to remember that there's sometimes where the hard times are, are what we need. 2 Corinthians 1.9 says, It felt like we had a death sentence written upon our hearts, and we still feel it to this day. It has taught us to lose all faith in ourselves and to place all of our trust in the God who raises the dead. Our pain, our hardship, our things that we go through are not meant to be forgotten. They're meant to be endured and then remembered so that we'll stop trusting in ourselves and we'll start trusting in God. Right? That when we find that route through it, when we find that path through it, that we don't forget and pretend like it never happened because then you go and do the thing again. Right? It's, you don't learn the lesson. We've got to find the way through in a healthy way and then remember to go back to that. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, and each time I'm going to share a point and I'm going to ask a question because we've got to make this personal. And so the key question is, am I learning from God's discipline? And I'd really encourage you guys, don't say like, is Ryan learning from God's discipline, right? Is Miguel learning from God's discipline? Don't make this someone else. Like, man, I'll tell you that guy, he's really got to learn from God's discipline. No, let's say, am I learning from God's discipline? The things that I go through in life, the difficult things I go through that make me angry, that, that make me frustrated, am I saying, am I just raging at them? Am I just upset with them and, and yelling at God for sending it my way? Or am I looking at what God's trying to do and remembering it? And remembering that there's, there's good things that can come out of this. And it doesn't mean that everything that happens to you is something that God wanted to happen. right? There are absolutely things happen, that happen to us that God never intended to happen. But he has a purpose through all of it. And if we'll remember that and not forget, then he can carry us through. The worst thing that ever happened to God's son was the best thing that ever happened to us right? The, the worst day of Jesus' life, the day he literally prayed would never come, but surrendered to in the end, happened. And he gave himself up. He sacrificed himself so that we could have a, a way forward. And, and that's another thing that we need to never forget. And the way that we remember that every week is we take communion together and we talk about what it meant for Jesus' pain to be our deliverance, for Jesus going through hard times and the Son of God being disciplined allowing us to be set free. Um, so let's take that together. We've got bread that's been broken in the back. We've got um, juice that's been poured out like the blood of Jesus, and, and that's who we want to remember today. Um, so let's pray. Um, Father God, as we take your bodies, we take your blood, um, and we remember what it meant to be set free, what it means um, that your pain was our freedom, that your ability to um, live a life that was perfect, um, even though you faced temptation, even though you faced hardship and, and difficulties just like we do. Um, the fact that, that your love was so extreme and so intense that, that you would let nothing stand between where we are and, and the hope that you have for us, that you were going to connect that no matter what. Um, and so, Father, thank you for sending him. Thank you for Jesus' willingness to take that step and set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. So if God's going to restore us, we need to remember that sometimes he's going to work through difficult times to help us get restored. That the, the hard times does not mean that God has forgotten about you, but the opposite, that God is definitely trying to do some work through you 
and in you. And so we, we can't abandon that or we're going to lose out on all the restoration that would have come with it, right? The, him walking through that hard time with you is the premise and we don't get the promise of restoration unless we do that. The second thing we need to remember about God's promise of restoration is that some of God's promises are specifically for God's people. Some of God's promises are specifically, uniquely for God's people. We are all God's creation. All of humanity is God's creation, but we are not all part of God's family. He, is, he makes that very clear in Scripture that He wants everyone to be in His family, but we have a choice as to whether we're in that family or not, whether we follow Him or not. And so some of the promises are contingent on us being in His family, of, of following Him. And in verse 12 of the passage we read, and, um, it says, you know, if my, if my people who are called by my name, and then everything that comes after that if is what works. In the middle of construction of the temple, he's telling them how it can be restored, that, that the way they're going to be restored, um, he knows where they're heading based on where they're acting, and the way they're going to be restored is by, by identifying, by being his people, by acting like his people. In Matthew 6-9, Jesus is um, telling his disciples how they should pray, and he says, this is how you should pray. Our, and he starts with, Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. And then everything that happens through that prayer will happen because he is our Father, because we are his child, because we are choosing to be his child. There, right? It's a voluntary adoption. All of us are, 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 have alienated ourselves from God, have, have put ourselves in positions where we're, we're opposed to him. And we get to choose. He's offering to adopt all of us. And then we have the choice on whether we're going to do that. Galatians 3.29 says, Since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's descendant, heirs according to the covenant promises. And, and so when God says, you know, think about what he promised to Israel. He said, I'm going to establish a foothold for you. I'm going to establish a place where, where you can be safe and you can be free and you can have my presence with you all the time and that's what he did in our hearts that's what he that's the land he carved out for us was our that territory was our hearts he said you're going to be you're going to be able to multiply and and spread and and have this influence on the world and the whole world will be blessed by you and that's what he does through us through the church right he started it with with you know jesus and 12 guys right and then all of a sudden it's it's this huge thing you know that's lasted thousands of years and and is millions and millions and millions and millions of people strong and and it grows and it grows and it has made an impact on the whole world and he, you know he made those promises to Abraham because Abraham was faithful because Abraham was his child but we are every bit as much his child if we're following him what did Abraham do that made him God's child it wasn't because of who he was born to it wasn't because of where he was born what what national citizenship he had the reason that Abraham was considered a child of God is because God said, hey, let's go over here. And Abraham's like, all right, let's do that. Right? Like that was, that was it. Like that was the defining point of Abraham's life. God said, let's go to this place. You've never been there before, but if you trust me, it's awesome. And Abraham's like, okay, like I'll go. I've never been there, but I, I believe you. I believe that where we're going is where we're meant to be. And there are so many times in our life, there's so many, th so many different occasions where God points us in a direction, whether it's a direction of our heart. You know, maybe, you know, we've got healing is a choice coming up, which is a, a healing ministry, a healing group that we have that um, where we talk about really difficult things and a lot of times things that you really didn't want to tell anybody about. And, and we meet up for a few weeks and, and Chris and Kayla kind of guide us through you know, what it looks like to start to talk about those things. And it doesn't solve all of your deep hurts in six to eight weeks, right? But it, 
what it does do is it gives you the, the freedom to engage it and the strength to start talking about it and some tools to start to deal with it when hard things come up. Things that maybe you've been afraid of, things that you've been hiding from that now can be brought to light and, and hope can be poured in. Well, when you hear about that, and that all sounds fine for someone else, but when it's my thing that I didn't want to tell anyone about, when it's that one thing that I'm pretty sure if you found that out about me, you'll want nothing to do with me, right? I'm pretty sure if you find that out, I'm going to look weird and you're not going to want it. You're not going to know how to deal with it. I'm pretty sure if you knew that I thought that way, if you knew that I felt that way, if you knew that I had done that, that you wouldn't want to talk to me anymore. When, the, when it's that thing, or it's that thing that says, I'm, I know if I bring that up, I will be crushed. Right? I, I know that if I think about that for too long, that I won't be able to handle it, and I'll, I'll just lose it. Right? Those are the times where you have to say, okay, God has told me that, there is, that, that light is always the answer, that darkness is never the solution. And I've been covering this thing up with as much darkness as I can gather around it so I don't have to think about it. And now this person's coming in here with this flashlight and saying, hey, wh- how about we check that out? I'm like, no, I don't. I've seen too many horror movies. Like, don't open that door, right? Like, this, this, this is bad territory. I've tried it. It's, it doesn't end well. And they're, what they're saying is, man, I, we've got community. I'm pretty sure if we turn the light on, we can handle what you find. I'm pretty sure. Look what this guy handled. Look what this girl handled, right? It was pretty scary. And we, we turned on the light and we dealt with it through the power of God. When you hear about something like that and you have to ask, am I going to go? Am I going to go into this place that God has called me to go? Or am I going to keep hiding where I know how things go, even if it's bad? Because a lot of times I'd rather, I say I, like a lot of times I would rather stay where I'm miserable if there is a prospect of the next thing being more miserable, right? Like if there's any chance of the next thing being worse, even if it might be better, if it could also be worse, I would rather stick with the mess that I know than try that scary thing that God is calling me to. But that is not what I see in Scripture. In Scripture, over and over and over again, the people that God calls His children, the people that God calls His friend, are the ones who go and do the hard thing. And then it does end up better. It always ends up better. And in my life, even I I know in my life, when I've done the hard thing, when I've gone and had those conversations, when I've let people shine a light where I've been hoarding away a darkness, it's always gotten better. It's not fun. It's not easy. I don't, at the time, thank them for it necessarily. But ultimately, I am so thankful that I did it. And I'm so much more free than I was. And even knowing all of that, when the next person comes up, sometimes I'm like, no, go away. Right? Like, it's so hard. It's hard to be God's child. It's hard to do the things that he's called me to. Um, You know, I think about, you know, my son and, you know, I grew up in Florida, so I got to swim a lot. That was something I was, I love and I I still love and and he didn't. And so um, the water was scary for him for a long time. And I knew how much fun I had. And I would, I remember just years literally of of him standing by the edge of the pool and pleading with him like will you please jump in like i'm i almost just yanked him in. like i he'd just get really freaked out and he'd be shaking and he'd like get his toes right up to the water and then he'd back away and he'd do it for for literally like an hour and a half and i'm like this is exhausting like it just jump man like it can't be worse than this it can't be worse than you losing this whole time you know that we had out here that could have been fun and you just wasted all of it and I, I remember, you know, this summer really was a turning point where he, he jumped in and really jumped in and, and trusted, and he had so much fun, and now he wants to be in the pool all the time, and he had, you know, me and Crystal's brother, like, grabbed him by the hands and the feet, and we threw him halfway across the pool, and he was like, that was amazing, and he's not afraid anymore, and he's excited, and he's, he knows he's not going to die, and he knows he's going to, you know, have a good time, and that dad's going to pick him up if he can't make it, and, and now... 
when he sees something that used to be an object of fear and terror and, and that paralyzed him, now it's a place where he can operate with confidence and he can know and he can bring his friends in on it and say, see, like, this is okay. Like, this is a place where we can go and have fun and, and it's not this thing that I thought it was because now I've realized that if nothing else, dad's going to catch me and, and that I've got a place where I can, that used to be off limits that now is available to play around in. And that's what a lot of things can be like in your life if you will be God's child, if you will follow him into it. In relationships, when, you know, for me, a lot of times classrooms that I walked into where I, I didn't know people were that swimming pool. They were the place where I walked in. I'm like, all of this is terrifying. I don't know any of you, you know, all of you could be terrible. All of you could think I'm terrible. I'm, you know, I'm just, let's not engage. Let's just not, let's, better for me not to know, right? Better for it to be a mystery than for me to find out that I, I tried and you didn't like me. And for a long time, that's how I operated. That's a lonely place to operate out of. You know, it's a fearful place. It's a place that, that leaves you stuck until I met some guys that, you know, in church that, that showed me what it was like to, to try, you know, that tried with me even when I was awkward, even when I didn't necessarily give them a lot back um, and, and really showed me what it was like to engage. And slowly but surely, I dipped my toes in and then I was jumping and I was like, throw me in. Right, like let's do this. You know, is and all of a sudden I could walk into a room and it was a place where I could operate with freedom and I knew if nothing else, my dad was gonna catch me. Right? If nothing else, even if all y'all reject me, I've got the love of the creator of the universe. So good luck with that. Right? Like I've got I've got the love of the only person who matters, so I can keep it rolling. And now I'm operating out of a place of confidence instead of a place of fear because I know whose child I am. And so the key question is, am I God's child? Not was I created by God, but am I choosing to act like his son or daughter, right? Am I taking his name on and then acting like that means something? And that's the question we have to ask because we're, it's going to be really hard to be restored. In fact, it's going to be impossible to get to that restoration unless we follow God there. It would be insane for Levi to jump in if he didn't know how and dad wasn't around, right? That would be worst case scenario, right? It only works because dad's there. Right? That's, that's the crux of all this. Right? We can't, there's, there's no program you can figure out. There's no steps you can follow. There's no solution you can figure out for yourself that works unless dad is there. And so we've got to make sure that we're following the one who really brings the healing. Chris and Kayla do not provide the healing, and healing is a choice. Right? They're like, that guy. <laughs> Jesus is the one. That's all they do. They just point at Jesus over and over again. Right? And they take you back to his word, and they take you back to his love, and they take you back to other people that are following his love, and they say, that's where the healing's at. But the only way it works is if, we're his, if we choose to be his child, if we choose to follow in and, and keep our father around. And the third thing we need to remember, um, a fact about God's promise of restoration, is that all of God's promises, some of God's promises are specifically for God's people, but all of God's promises depend on doing it God's way. That is the thing that has to happen in order for the promises to work. We can't make a shortcut. We can't find a different way, right? You've got to do it God's way. And, it, you know, there's the, the saying, like, when you're putting something together, spare parts mean you did it better, right? <laughs> until, the, until the wheel falls off, right? Like, it's, it's not, that's not the case. Like, they designed it for a reason. Maybe you've got, like, 20 screws left. Like, they probably should have gone somewhere. Right, like there's probably something that's going to fall down later on, and sometimes we skip steps, and we're like, "I'm going to skip this." You know, I'm going to do all these things, but I'm I that the prayer and Bible study thing is really hard to wake up for. I'm going to skip that, and we'll see how this goes. Right, and then you charge out confidently to speak to people, and you've got no foundation, and you fall flat on your face. Right, like we can't skip the steps. All of God's promises depend on doing it God's way. 
And that's in some ways a little bit of an overstatement because he, one of his promises is that he will always love us. And that's true no matter what you do. Whether you do it God's way or not, he's going to love you, right? That is universally true, that he will always love you. But what is true is that you will never reap the benefits of that love unless you do it God's way. The love will be there, but you're not going to get to enjoy it because you're running the other direction. So all of God's promises really, and our benefit of them, from them, depend on doing it God's way. In Psalm 81, 13 and 14, it says, If my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways, how quickly would I subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes? God could turn their pain into relief instantly. But if he does it before they learn to follow him, he's setting them up for more pain later on. Right? It would, it would be foolish of me to instill confidence in my son into going into something he's afraid of without training him to do it. Right? That, would, that would be a foolish decision to say, hey, you've got this when he doesn't have it. That's not smart. Right? That's not good parenting. But it's, it is wise to say, this is how we do things in our family. This is how our guys do this. And, and when you follow dad and you do it my way, you're going to be able to do this. And we model it and we practice it and we try it in little ways with dad supporting you. And then we try it later on with less support and we build you up to it. And if you follow that pattern, if you follow that way, this is going to be really cool for you. But it doesn't work if you don't do the training, if you don't do it God's way in the beginning. In Deuteronomy 5.29, it says, I wish they would always worship me with fear and trembling and be this willing to obey me. Then they and their children would always enjoy a successful life. And when he says that they and their children would enjoy a successful life, he's not talking about economic success. He's not talking about prospering from a worldly standpoint. He's talking about a life that matters now and matters for eternity. right? Because Jesus was the best. right? And he didn't get, if Jesus didn't get the private jet, you're not getting the private jet if you do get it, it won't be because you of your faithfulness, right? It's you may get it, but that's not an indication of how successful you are with God. So there's two key questions we need to ask. One, how do I become God's child? If I need to make sure I'm God's child, how do I become God's child? And if your answer to the question, "Am I God's child?" was I don't know, well, here's your chance to learn. John three three says, "I tell you the truth: unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God." The kingdom of God is the family of God, and you will never be close to God in this life or the next life unless we choose to join him in this one, right? You're never, you're, you have to choose to be with him, to choose to join his family, to join his kingdom, to make him king. In Galatians 3, 26 and 27, it talks about how that happens. It says, it is through faith that all of you are God's children in union with Christ Jesus, right? You are God's children when in faith you follow God. What does that look like? It says you were baptized in the union with Christ, and now you are clothed, so to speak, with Christ himself. So there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles, between slaves and free people, between, between men and women. You are all one in union with Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are the descendants of Abraham and will receive what God has promised. Being a believer is not a guarantee that you are in good standing with God. The Bible says even the demons believe in God. And that's bad news for them, right? They believe in God and they shudder. Just believing that God is real is not the answer and is not any kind of security. Surrendering to Christ, living for Christ, is how we get that security. And what he says is, he is clothed, we are clothed with Christ through baptism. That, that when we go down into the water and we surrender to him and we say, this is me dying to myself, and when I come back up, I'm committing to live for you, that that is us surrendering to Christ. And that's what he designed, and I think he designed it for a reason. You know, we, 
we really need help remembering things, right? Like we just, I live off phone reminders. It, if it doesn't get in the phone reminders within like 30 seconds, it is gone forever. And that's generous. Like it may not even take that long, right? And for us as people, we are, we've talked about how forgetful Israel is. We're not any different. We're the same people just thousands of years later. And so he wanted us to have something that we could go back to and say, you know, this is me dying to myself. You know, it's, it's not earning your salvation. You holding your breath for two seconds does not repay the perfect son of God being crucified, right? Like that's not earning your way, right? What it is is saying it's obedience. It's saying, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm not going to try to find a better way. And we don't have time to do a deep dive into this, but, but hundreds of years after the life of Jesus and any of his followers, a teaching came up that said, all you have to do to receive Jesus is just make a statement or say a prayer. Jesus didn't teach that. None of his followers taught that. And we have the writings of him, his followers, and his followers' followers, and none of them taught that. That's a new thing, all things considered. And that's something that someone else came up. And for me, and for us as a church, if Jesus says that there's a way to do a thing, then I'm going to do it his way. And I'm not going to try to find a new way to go about it. I'm not going to take shortcuts. I'm not going to find something else. Honestly, he's not asking us to do a lot. All things, you know, for what he's giving, for the payout, it's not a catch. It's not earning it. You know, if I say all expense paid trip out to the Thunder game, you stepping into the van is not like you're welcome, right? Like I, uh, me stepping in that van is not repaying, you stepping in that van is not repaying me for doing that for you. It's just the only way you're going to get there. And for Jesus, you know, he's saying, I've got the van loaded up. I'm ready to go. If you will put me on, if you will allow yourself to die and for you to live for me after that, then I'm, we're ready to roll. All you got to do is hop in, right? He's ready for that. He's always ready for that. That invitation is extended all of the time. And if that doesn't sound like the conversion experience that you had, then maybe we need to revisit that. And this is absolutely a place where we can do that. And so I'd really encourage you, if that doesn't sound like how you came to Christ, how you experienced coming into Christ and having a relationship with him, then find the person who brought you here. Find me, find one of our cell leaders, find someone that you can trust. And let's talk through that because the promise that God made is dependent on us being God's child. And he is waiting to welcome us in, but we get, we only, the only way into his family is the way that he told us. And we've got to follow in his footsteps, right? We can't take the shortcuts. So we need to ask, how do I become God's child? And then if I am God's child, the second question is, am I living God's way? Because a relationship with God is not a one-time commitment. Just because you, you followed all the steps and you did the thing and you even meant it at the time, it doesn't mean that we wake up every day and we live for Him. That's why it says, die to yourselves daily. That's why the Bible tells us every single day we've got to remember to, to put ourselves to death. And, and it doesn't mean you have to go in the bathtub every morning and dunk yourself. Right? What it does mean is that you go back to that time, and again, restoration, I need to go back to that time and say, remember that time that I gave everything up for Christ. Let's do that again today. Right? And if I did it yesterday, let's do it again again the next day. And we keep on doing that every day where we say, I remember the commitment I made, and I'm going to relive that every day. In Second Chronicles 7.24, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land, right? He will bring us back. Am I being humbled? Am I seeking God face to face? Am I leaving my secret ways behind and allowing him to shine his light in, right? Am I allowing him to engage? Am I acting like his child? God longs to see you restored to better than you've ever been. 
He longs to, he says he'll make in us a new creation, something this world has never seen before, right? The Patrick that God is working on is something this world has never seen, right? And the world isn't ready for him, right? He's, God is doing a thing in him that is powerful to the point where, where no one's going to see it coming except God himself. And I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see that in each one of you. I'm excited to see that in me. I'm excited to see it in my, my wife, my kids, my, my family here. Um, I, I can't wait to see what a restored you looks like. And this is your chance to take that first step. So I'm going to pray. We're going to pass around an offering for our members, for our guests, what we would really love. Um, and honestly, our members can do this too. Um, you've got a connect card in your bulletin. Um, it's a place where you can share. Man, I'm, I don't even know if I am God's child. And we would love to walk through that in a Bible study with you. You can say, I know I'm God's child, but I don't know that I've been living like it. And we can walk through that with you too. Whatever your needs are, write that down. We're going to pray. Um, we'll take those up. Father in heaven, all glory be to your name. Uh, you are the one who restores. You are the rebuilder of walls. You are the repairer of streets. You're the, the restorer of homes. Um, the one who comes in and takes empty, desolate places and makes them full of life and, and full of excitement and joy and peace and, and, and passion. Um, Lord, help us to be those people that, that know that we're redeemed, that know that we're restored, and may we pass that on to others. Father, if there are those here that, um, that are still deciding whether they want to be in your family, whether they're willing to make that, that jump to be humble and, and trust you with everything. Father, I pray that you would help them um, be bold, be confident, and know that if they jump in, their father's going to catch them. Father, I pray that they would be able to operate in, in, in power and not be afraid anymore. Uh, for those of us who've been your child and, and maybe have been rebellious and have struggled, have run away from you and tried to do things on our own like children do, um, I pray that you would bring us back. You would humble us, Father, even if it's through hard things. Um, you would allow us to accept that correction and, and run back into your arms when we learn our lesson. Um, we love you. Thank you for being the perfect father. In Jesus' name, amen.